0: Hello and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast where we try to take a look under the bonnet of the market with leading asset allocators and fund buyers. I'm David Thorpe, Contributing Editor at Asset Allocator. Joining me today are Jane Bransgrove, Investment Director at Charles Stanley and David Baxter, Funds Editor at Investors Chronicle. Thank you both for joining me today for what is a bit of an ESG investing special. Jane, one of the things we aim to do on this podcast is look under the bonnet a little bit at the fund and asset allocation decisions being taken by market participants. But I think many advisors find this harder to do with sustainable funds and perhaps the present labelling regime doesn't help with that what do you think are the, the next steps we can expect from regulators in that regard and how do you navigate the current uh, minefield of labelling that that's out there
1: Thanks, David, and thanks for inviting me. I think, yes, you're right. You know, labelling and taxonomy in general is one of the big issues um, when talking about sustainability. And uh, we have been waiting for the FCA to come out with their uh, labelling on sustainability, uh, which will be used uh, for funds. Uh, They had originally planned to issue um, some draft guidance in uh, the second quarter that's now been pushed to September so we're currently waiting for that to come out. We've seen um, some initial thoughts from them um, regarding labelling and some of their terminology and they have used sustainability um, as a, a category for some of those funds so if we think about it on a sort of a green spectrum that would be to sort of the right hand side. On the left they are labelling potentially labelling funds as responsible so they have some considerations regarding um, ESG uh, within their sort of methodology and objectives but sustainability is going to cover categories that at the far right hand side uh, they're proposing is uh, sort of impact so that's quite uh, sort of dark green we'd say Um, and to the slightly to the left of that they have two categories uh, which they were proposing to call uh, transitioning and aligned. Now they haven't uh, defined how that would be um, how funds would be categorised within those uh, different uh, labels they have talked about having a certain uh, percentage in terms of allocation to uh, sustainable and sort of ESG or SRI uh, sort of vehicles uh, sort of within or holdings within funds and uh, It's likely to be uh, transitioning a sort of a lower allocation and aligned a higher allocation. Um, Germany, for example, use about seventy-five percent as a threshold to label things um, at seventy-five, but we don't know what the number um, will be. I think probably the labelling, calling them uh, transitioning and aligned. uh, I don't know whether that will survive the sort of final cut. I think, uh, to my mind, that does confuse the picture a little bit with. Sort of climate, um, where there are benchmarks that are um, either sort of climate uh, aligned or um, sort of transitioning. So I I think that's not terribly helpful um, and potentially sort of confuses the matter further. Um, But it Know, we will need some sort of definitions and criteria to help people um, sort of navigate and understand the sort of labelling. You know, they want labels that are um, easy for consumers to understand, um, but at the same time have some granularity for sort of investment professionals to be able to, as you say, look under the bonnet and try and understand, um, you know, what funds are uh, looking to achieve, you know, and how they're um, invested. So there's still quite a bit of work to do. Part of the reason why they've actually uh, delayed uh, the uh, sort of announcement of their uh, taxonomy is actually they're trying to align themselves uh, with other uh, regulators. Um, everybody's sort of working on a very similar thing. And I think although uh, in Europe they had... Um, they have been using some sort of labelling, you might have heard of sort of Article 8 and 9. That was never really intended as sort of labelling, so they're thinking about sort of eco-labels and that sort of thing. Um, but I think, as far as possible, they want um, as many regulators to agree on some sort of common uh, taxonomy uh, so that they don't have to sort of rewrite things, You know, particularly because you've got funds being sort of sold sort of across borders and, and you really... You know, people just want something um, that's sort of easy to understand. I don't know whether we'll quite get down to a sort of traffic light system like you do on sort of food, but uh, you know the, the simpler that it can be made uh, for investors, um, the better because you know they are relying on some you know, a signal I think from um, fund providers uh, to help them you know to sort of pick uh, what's appropriate. Um, for their requirements,
0: thank you, uh, David Baxter. In your role as funds editor at Investors Chronicle, I think you you look under the bonnet of of a lot of funds, including, I'm sure, um, ESG funds, and you have some interaction with with retail uh, investors as well that are, are your readers. And what are your what are your thoughts in in this area?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Jane makes lots of very good points. It's very, um, it seems very kind of difficult to know what exactly. Um, an ESG fund is going to do, and they have very different um, approaches. And then, I suppose you have the kind of interesting debates coming more and more to the fore about whether you whether you do the kind of exclusion form of ESG investing, or whether you do the kind of engagement form. And I suppose that's that's an even kind of broader category than some of the um, potential subsectors that have, have been mentioned. Um, I did I did want to ask Jane. Do you think? Um, I mean, as as you mentioned, some of the subsectors or categories still seem to be being sort of bashed out and and decided. But would it seem like the categories that will come through so far, does it seem like they're going to be kind of tight enough that you would be comparing, I suppose, like for like a bit more? Because I suppose at the minute, one problem is just how disparate that ESG space is if you are selecting funds.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think that again, you know, is another issue that comes into uh, the whole rating and um, sort of assessment of uh, funds and and how you label uh, some of these. And you know, it comes down to sort of data as well. So you know, even if everybody agrees on, you know, for example, a percentage allocation to uh, sort of certain funds and and where you sit in particular sort of categories, um, how you actually assess the funds and. Um, how you um, grade them essentially uh, you know is open to interpretation again and, and I think you you know, we can see in terms of the rating providers and, and different decisions about you know what is material in each of the uh, sort of es and g uh, spaces uh, Different providers are making different uh, assessments about, you know, what's material and, uh, you know, how they rate companies. You know, we can see that there's still quite a lot of dispersion. Um, so I think that then, you know, sort of feeds into uh, how you assess uh, the percentages and, uh, you know, w- whether you are comparing sort of like with like. I think that's another area that the regulators will look at uh, so that there is co- some consistency. Um, regarding that sort of data that's being used uh, to assign uh, funds uh, and put them into an appropriate uh, sort of category so you know, there are lots of things as you say still to um, sort of iron out and I think uh, you know, regulators and uh, you know will play a part in in trying to to help define you know some of those sort of definitions and uh, you know, to give people some confidence about the the ratings that are being applied to sort of companies and then you know in turn uh, funds themselves
0: Jane one of the things which feeds into that um I guess is the trade-off uh, that many funds present between say investing in low carbon businesses now and those which say that they are investing in businesses which are transitioning to uh, a low lower carbon uh, business model in future um as a as an investor how do you think about that question I, I, when you're looking at what to uh, invest in I guess it's transition versus Present um, activities,
1: yes, yes, and and it's uh, I suppose it's a s- similar uh, sort of argument about the sort of exclusion or you know positive sort of slanting, um, and, and whether you feel that uh, to get to where we need to get to, you know, you should uh, just uh, sort of divest from those uh, you know inverted commas bad companies uh, currently and and remove as much carbon as you can at this stage, um, or whether you think it's important to actually engage with these companies, you know, they will need to be part of the solution. Um, and I think our preference would be uh, to engage uh, with these companies and, um, you know, that's part of our stewardship role Is and, and what we expect from the managers that we're investing in. You know, we, we're asking as part of our due diligence what they're doing um, on these fronts, you know, to push companies uh, to improve uh, their positions and, and help with that transition. You know, we will only get there if everybody um, sort of plays their part and removing companies that... Are, you know have high uh, sort of fossil fuels or uh, at the moment and, and aiming for a low carbon at this stage, you know isn't necessarily going to uh, sort of get us there. So I think engaging with companies um, and having one eye um, on that uh, transition and, and the parts that companies uh, can play um, in achieving those targets um, is important. And I think people you know perhaps instinctively and, and a bit like how they have their sort of negative sort of screening ideas. I think uh, we quite often get people coming to us and saying, you know, they don't want fossil fuels or, or things like that. But I think it, it does need to sort of broaden out the discussion um, to talk about how some of those companies and, you know, moving from maybe being an oil company to more, you know, thinking about themselves as energy suppliers and and how much of that energy they can then get from renewable sources, um, you know, is an important sort of conversation to have. Um, There are benchmarks uh, that are sort of Paris aligned, the the, the strictest ones do have thresholds um, for excluding uh, an element of uh, sort of fossil fuels and oil companies above a a fairly sort of low threshold. But a lot of benchmarks now do have some element um, of uh, sort of carbon screening and sort of low carbon. So some of those companies are um, sort of taken out. um, But in some cases... You know, there has been, uh, you know, particularly recently, with what's happening with um, sort of oil prices, you, know, y- you can see there has been a bit of a trade-off, you know, in terms of performance. Um, you know, in the UK, if you look at um, the regular index uh, compared to an index that you know has stripped out uh, some of those sort of energy companies, you know, there's been quite a big uh, divergence. You know, it's not doesn't necessarily play out across all markets, um, but in certain markets um, and in certain situations where those uh, sort of sectors are, are doing well, then you know you are potentially um, you know, suffering, bit in terms of um, sort of performance, um, you know, so that's something else to uh, to uh, consider.
0: Thank you, Jane. Um, David Baxter, uh, how do you ha- how do you think about that question of transition? I know that uh, there's some element of uh, cynicism in in the market uh, about about that.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I, f- I feel like the um, transition point. Uh, Perhaps anecdotally seems to have gained a bit more momentum uh, in in recent years. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe that's kind of um, yeah, one of the newer ways people are kind of thinking about things. Um, I would add it's quite interesting from you know chats I've had with kind of selectors in the past um, where they're making the point that uh, the region you invest in can be quite important on this front as well. So for example, it, it might be easier to be exclusionary in more of a developed market, whereas if you're in something like an emerging market, kind of ESG type funds, then sometimes you are kind of looking at, um, for example, using using a form of energy that may still be perceived as kind of dirty, but is cleaner than the kind of current option being used. So there are quite a lot of lot of nuances. Um, and I think that's kind of uh playing through slowly. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's also an interesting point Jay makes about about performance in certain markets. you see you you've seen quite a big trade off um and and there were just kind of those big nuances around what ESG funds have tended to do in different regions, like in the u s you have kind of big debates over whether you know some ESG funds will simply use a lot more exposure to to names like the fangs. Um, so um, yeah, I, I guess perhaps we're also going to see kind of more gl- granular approaches to um, to what ESG funds do in future.
0: Thank you for that, and J- Jane, f- fo- following up on that, really, um, how, how do you think about diversification within this within this space? And are transition funds really essential if you want to have a, a diversified um, exposure in ESG? land.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, we've now got a lot, uh, you know, a lot more, you know, in the way of options for constructing sort of portfolios. You know, if we were looking at trying to do something um, that had particular ESG targets, you know, whether that's, um, you know, sort of an, a transitioning objective or whether that's just an overall Um, A good score, as as far as sort of ESG uh, quality uh, sort of rating is concerned, I think you know that would have been difficult a number of years ago. But you know we've seen so many funds um, sort of coming out uh, that have some you know sort of ESG um, sort of angle or socially responsible angle, you know that we're able to uh, populate multi-asset portfolios pretty well. um, You know in terms of having. funds that are different from their parent index because of those overlays uh, that they've got in there. Um, I think, uh, as, you know, we've seen in a lot of areas, equities tend to be the ones that sort of get the most attention, I suppose, you know, a lot of funds, are, um, you know, perhaps have a higher allocation to that, um, you know, sort of in general, uh, the, the bond side tends to be, you know, a little bit further behind in terms of um, trying to get uh, funds that, you know, perhaps meet those um, sort of objectives. I think in the sort of alternative space as well, we've still got a few um, sort of gaps, um, but a lot of, um, particularly on the passive side, I look after um, some sort of passive models. You know, lots of providers have come out with equivalent um, sort of indices that we can use, um, you know, and in a lot of cases, you know, they pitch them in terms of pricing um, at the same sort of level. So, you know, that's that's not a, a trade-off that you're having to uh, sort of make when deciding Uh, whether to use them Um, but I think in uh, sort of the alternative space there's a little bit more uh, you know a few there's some more gaps to sort of fill and um, I think uh, but elsewhere sort of across portfolios you know we can certainly find um, a lot of vehicles we we haven't been given um, specific uh, sort of climate uh, targets uh, by clients at, the, at this sort of stage. So, um, I think perhaps on the institutional space, that is something um, that we're being asked about. And uh, there's some new uh, TCFD uh, legislation coming in, so that next year we will have to start uh, talking about. Um, uh, carbon emissions and, uh, and and carbon footprint and uh, you know temperature um, sort of impact uh, for uh, a number of our products uh, funds and, and sort of models so you know that's something that we're working on now which will uh, give clients uh, sort of more information but it, it's getting all that data in and um, you know we will be Looking at our um, sort of funds, you know, to see the decisions that we make, and you know, and how that feeds through into those numbers. You know, there are a lot of markets at the moment that just um, on the, uh, you know, without doing much, you know, don't uh, allow you to meet uh, sort of some of those targets. So, you know, if you are trying to uh, find a portfolio that does um, help you achieve uh, those sort of targets, you know, you are going to have to make some decisions about. Um, you know, what sectors you have exposure to, uh, you know, and what regions, you know, some regions are definitely um, better than others. um, And ultimately, it comes down to the commitments that those sort of companies um, sort of make as well. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, I think, what numbers um, sort of start coming out when people... Uh, start reporting um, under some of those TCFD uh, requirements.
0: Thank you. Uh, You mentioned uh, alternatives and there's certainly been an uptick, I think, in interest uh, from clients in having exposure to alternative assets in the ESG universe. How how do you do alternatives and how do you do it in a way that represents value uh, for, for clients given the, I presume, quite nebulous nature of some of the Uh, investments there
1: yeah so so our um, alternatives exposure tends to concentrate on um, sort of infrastructure so that's an area that you know we're particularly um, sort of positive on it you know it's provided some useful um, sort of diversification. Obviously, earlier this year, it's been particularly difficult with a lot of sort of equities and bonds moving in, in the same sort of direction. Um, but the uh, infrastructure space um, within sort of alternatives um, has provided some uh, sort of useful diversification. Uh, we've got the option of using uh, sort of listed infrastructure um, vehicles and um some of those are investing in the underlying um, sort of utility companies. Um, we've also got the ability to use um, investment trusts that are particularly focused on, for example, uh, sort of renewable energy. Um, you know, and that's uh, those are holdings that we uh, put into some of our um, sort of model portfolios, um, and, and they're very attractive. You know, they they give good yields. Uh, the the cash flows um, uh, have a, an element of sort of inflation linking, which has obviously been. Um, important uh, sort of recently and uh, are beneficiaries of of some of the short-term market prices um, as far as energy is concerned. I think, um, you know, I talked about the gaps earlier. Uh, Other portfolios, we'd have um, sort of property um, in the portfolio as one of our other alternative investments. Um, But that's something um, that is still uh, an area where, uh, you know, it's difficult to find uh, vehicles uh, that give you at that sort of ESG angle as well. I mean, buildings um, themselves contribute to around sort of 40% of of sort of carbon emissions. So it's something that um, people are aware of and and know it's important to tackle. And I think when you look at uh, new building sort of plans, you know, they've got lots of uh, environmentally um, sort of friendly uh, sort of considerations that, that, you know, they have to take into account, but that's not feeding through yet into... Uh, the uh, vehicles that we're sort of using you know but there will have to be a lot of um, even if it's sort of retrofitting uh, things um, I I expect that to be something that comes um, you know hopefully um, fairly soon and uh, will enable us to uh, sort of fill that uh, gap if that's the sector that we uh, you know want to invest in going forward. Thank you.
0: David Baxter I know that uh Apart from, apart from ESG related assets, the other sector that's been very hot uh, and much discussed in recent years has been alternatives. What are your your thoughts about where that those two might meet? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I think Jane kind of covered um, some of those points really well. You have kind of the the alternatives partly, I think, just stand out to a lot of investors because the yield, and um, clearly that's been something that's been absent for in different more traditional parts of the market for for a long time. Um, and then also, I guess it's interesting that they're, uh, they're offering perhaps a more targeted ESG play. Um, so rather than just kind of going for a broad ESG fund, you're going for something like kind of a, a, a batteries fund or focusing on on solar power or, or many other kind of things that are popping up now. Um, I was going to, again, kind of tack on a, a, a question, Jane. I was, I was wondering, do you... Um, do you think the kind of the broad ESG, and this is a very, not the easiest question maybe, but do you think that the kind of broad ESG fund will still have a place in years to come? Or do you think, would you expect it perhaps to be kind of supplanted by these more uh, kind of niche offerings as, just given how idiosyncratic ESG kind of preferences are and people will perhaps start to want something a bit more specific as they, get a bit more knowledgeable on, on the subject?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think, you know, that's a good question. I think people will be looking for something um, that offers a little bit more, and as you say, in line with uh, their understanding. And I think ESG, although it sort of seems um, sort of new because we've, we've got some sort of uh, new sort of terminology, I a lot of the things that um, analysts look at you know, when... Um, assessing companies, you know, do fall into those um, categories and uh, things that they've been looking at, uh, you know, for a long time. And I think it's something that um, is going to be sort of almost standard um, sort of going forward. And, and, you know, we had this debate sort of internally, you know, sort of a number of years ago and and thought that actually a lot of the um, sort of ESG labels being um, sort of slapped on um, sort of funds to some extent become redundant because it's almost... You know, a given, and, and I think um, investors, you know, in future will almost take it as read that you do have a certain level um, of, you know, sort of ESG or sustainability um, sort of factors integrated into your sort of investment process and, and somewhere, um, you know, sort of within the, the makeup of the fund. And therefore, I think people will be looking. As you say, for for funds that can differentiate themselves, and you know, and show um, where they're sort of offering something different, because I would expect you know most of the market to have to have you know, or to, to achieve that sort of minimum um, you know standard sort of going forward, um, you know, even for people who don't necessarily feel that's a particular sort of bias that they want to have, I think um, investors um, will be want to be ESG aware in terms of knowing uh, you know where they stand with their investments and you know the regulators are are asking us to provide that um, sort of information um, sort of going forward so um, yeah so I think there will be um, some more uh, sort of specific vehicles that come out that we can use in our portfolios.
0: Thank you for that. And Jane, just to, to finish up, I guess, how, how do you think about um, valuations right now, particularly in, in different geographical areas? Um, I know uh, David Baxter touched on earlier the the sort of um, developed markets versus emerging markets debate, but more granular than than that, are there, are there arbitrage opportunities out there? Are uh, assets priced differently in different regions simply because of the the region in which they are located, or is that the the wrong way? I guess to think about ESG.
1: Um, I think you know a lot of the companies, uh, obviously, sort of international uh, sort of companies. I think uh, you know, when they're being assessed, it, it comes down to I think the providers that are doing the assessment, and um, you know certainly the bigger ones will be assessing companies um, across the board, and uh, you know, they'll they tend to start with a sort of a market cap. So you've got a lot of companies that are covered in America, you know, a bit less so um, in emerging markets. But you know, where they're doing their assessment and um, using the same uh, materiality for particular uh, sort of industries and deciding which factors are um, sort of most important, I would expect there to be um, uh, you know, some sort of read across, uh, you know, and not too much disparity between uh, sort of different regions in terms of how those companies are um you know sort of assessed but then you know the flows into those countries you know certainly we've seen um you know the whole uh, sort of ESG space lots of you know new funds coming out um lots of money being um sort of directed to some of those areas so you know i think that has potentially um you know, distorted some um, sort of valuations, and as we talked about, you know, earlier, you, we don't always have the same, you know, sort of opportunities in um, emerging markets that we do, um, you know, sort of in developed markets in that uh, sort of area. So we still, in in general, have a preference for uh, developed over sort of emerging markets, and um, a lot of the vehicles that we use uh, that have uh, sustainable uh, or, for example, sort of renewable energy focus um, have. Uh, allocations mainly to those uh, developed regions, whether that's uh, sort of the US um, or um, sort of Europe.
0: Thank you for that, Jane. Brandsgrove, Investment Director at Charles Stanley and David Baxter, Funds Editor at Investors Chronicle for joining me today and thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, we're now going on a, a bit of a, a summer break and I'll go and try to find my bucket and spade, but do remember to tune in again when we return in September. Thank you.